Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Hi. Hello. What's, <laughs> what's going on, Anito? Oh, I just got back from Colorado. That's what's going on. I rode my bike for you, a long time. Did you win? No, but I did not come in last place. So I felt good about that. Good job. Good job. Yes. So you rode in a, in a race and then you came back? Uh-huh. And like, did you drive? Because you can't drive very long. No, my brother and I went together. And so, and he did win. So that's kind of fun. Um, Yeah. And then we took turns driving. So, nice. Yeah. It was like seven hours away. So it was a big big long drive. Yeah. Did you have a good time? Yes. So much fun. Yay. Yeah. And so tired. And also the world is beautiful. And yeah. It's kind awesome. Of fun. Awesome. I'm so glad. We're going to turn around and leave next weekend. So my whole family, all of us are going on an adventure. How are you feeling about it? Um, maybe I don't want to say. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you're, it's happening. That's how you're feeling about it. It's going to happen. It's going to be a big to-do is what it's going to be. May so. the force be with you. Yeah. What about you, Mel? I, I don't know. I don't know what my <laughs> life is and I don't know what's going on. But I do know that I do my my yearly gig in Carmel, Indiana this week. So I'm going to be there. Why, why is it Carmel and not Carmel? Why is it Carmel and not Carmel? Well, I think it should because you're going there. So it should be Car. 
Mel, do you see? Do you see what I'm doing there? I do, but Mel. I wonder why, like, the town of Carmel is called Carmel, not Carmel. I don't know. And then we could get into the whole caramel, caramel thing. I know. It's funny because backstage uh, at in the Performing Arts Center there, there there's a big thing that they, they spelled it K-A-R-M-L. No. Yeah, K-A-R-M-L for people that go out and MC and they're like, you have to say oh. caramel. So, yeah. It's like phonetic spelling. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I've, I mean, I think I've mentioned this in podcast past. Not that anybody should remember this, but my music director at the Great American Songbook Academy camp. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> uh, with Michael Feinstein. I just show up and they I do my thing, but I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Well, I there's the Great American Songbook Foundation and then there's the Songbook Academy. And so that's where they bring in kids. They have them send in audition materials and then they select kids and then they bring in the top 40, I think, in the country. And then they're singers. And so I arrange and play and do all that stuff for them. And then they bring in Broadway people and other artists to workshop with them. And we have a whole team thing. And I'm trying to convince everyone to do tie-dye this year for an activity. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm going to be gone for a little bit. So, Anito, I'm not going to be able to talk to you for a minute. Whatever. Fine. I see how it is. No offense. I mean, we can text, okay. but <laughs> we've not been very good at that lately. But I've been in like life upheaval. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, I think that the kids you're working with are like super duper duper talented, right? They're like not human beings almost. You're Some like, of them how, are not human beings. How are you like 16 years old and sound like that? You know, it's interesting. It's like they're they're so in touch with emotion and working with lyrics. So a lot mm-hmm. of teenagers are like, yeah, I'm in touch with emotion, but like, I want to do stuff that's like fast or hardcore or loud or whatever. And these kids, everyone on my team chose a really heart wrenching ballad this year. We're like, Aww. Whoa, because they can really work with the lyric and be like, mm-hmm. I can put in my heartbreak. And you know, some of the songs are like, maybe written more for adults that have had like lifetime loves and stuff, but like they want to do it. So it's like, okay, great. Go from your experience. Speaking of that, I was laughing because I was listening to some kids, one of my son's age and two of them back to back said kind of the same thing. And I had to just stop for a second because the thing that they said was, and I'm just having a really hard time right now. And I really needed such and such to happen because I'm just really having a hard time. And in my brain, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you don't know anything. <laughs> you know, like your hard time, whatever. And then I have to, you know, put myself in check and just think, yeah, it is the hardest time for them just because they haven't experienced, you know, whatever. But it just makes me laugh when people are like, oh, I'm just really, you know, the 12 year old. I'm just really going through a hard time right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I wish I even had vocabulary for that when I was 12 because I didn't have that vocabulary till like five years ago. <laughs> oh, really? And the other funny thing they say is like, I don't know where I would be without, you know, this person or that person. I'm like, you're 12. Like you're going to be in your, your mom's basement. Like that's where your bedroom is. I I don't even know what that means, but it's kind of funny. They're like, (laughs) oh, that's adorable. That's interesting. uh, Cause that reminds me of something a friend and I were talking about recently where we were like, 
you know how when you go through hard stuff like death and all this other stuff that it it's a different perspective than somebody who's whose life struggles are like oh i'm dealing with you know my 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 kid can't walk across the stage at graduation yeah because of covid that whole thing and it's like ah it's like we're not even on the same planet and so do you feel sometimes anita like that stuff happens and you're like yeah but you have no idea what the death stuff has been and we kind of make ourselves in the grief olympics first place yes absolutely like that's what i was saying i have to check myself and be like you know i used to be like that too i used to be like we are having the hardest time like my kids won't sleep in their own bed and it's like really hard on us you know and i look back and i'm like uh okay <laughs> that was fine but at the moment it was really hard and for everybody you know whatever their heart is it's their hardest hard so yeah. Even though you want to be like, oh, you puny, you know, you peon of of hardship. <laughs> it's yeah. not that bad, but no. it is. So It is. Yeah. Everybody's experience is like relative to their life, I guess. But it's so mm-hmm. funny to look back and I'm like, man, I, re- I wish that I was that, not naive. That's kind of a negative word, but like, yeah, it, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I wish I had a better word and I don't because my brain's broken. Yeah. I believe it's pronounced caramel. K A R M L. Called you, Indy. <laughs> Whoever you are. Oh. My my brain is also broken. Apparently, uh, we also had Facebook hangouts this weekend. Did we? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you to the people who rescued us because I completely forgot and was on my mountain bike. And Mel was somewhere doing something. I don't know, but um, I'm in survival mode, trying to remember how to live and be safe in so, wherever I am. Thank so you. Hopefully, those went well. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for helping us. It's a hard yeah. time right now. Yeah, it's a so really uh, hard time, and I'm really struggling with a lot. I'm mimicking your son. I know. I mean, I don't know where I would be without all of this. I mean, I really would have preferred to not almost get killed still. Let's just say that. So, yeah, I mean, I think I do have legit life stress. I think you could say that. And I think the 12 year olds could say that too, but probably it's not the same. So, no. Uh, uh, so the next couple weeks, we are not going to be with you live because Mel is going to be uh, eyeball deep in Carmel. Her, in. <laughs> Yum, yum. No, I was first thinking yum, but then I was thinking that sounds dangerous. So I would be okay dying by caramel. <laughs> like that's a great way to go. I feel like that would be really on brand for me too. Okay, I'll put it in your obituary if you die of caramel. <laughs> Mel Shore died of caramel. <laughs> Nothing else. That's all that is going to be in there. Yeah. Um, so we're okay. going to upload a couple of previously released episodes that we think will be beneficial to you. So and if you use the podcast for some some help and some upliftment, is that a word? Upliftment? Definitely. Mm-hmm. I made it up an encouragement. <laughs> You're going to have an episode. What is it going to be? We don't know. You know what, though, Anito? What? This week's episode is so amazing. Yay. We I know we say that all the time, but Nancy Saltzman, come on. You guys are gonna love her so much. Uh again, like sitting in the interview and then editing. I'm just like, I love her so much. What a I good know. human. And she's been through so much. Like definitely way too much. And she, win- she wins the grief Olympics. <laughs> yeah. She will not die 
die by caramel, but she might die of being too awesome yeah. for handling her life shit show. Oh, Nancy. Yeah, I love her too. She's like one of those amazing human beings. So, yeah. Like, cool. you know, those people that you talk to and you can feel how good their soul is. That's Nancy. You know, the other thing about Nancy that's really cool is when she talks to you, she makes you feel like you're the awesome one. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're thinking this person is so amazing. And she is like making us feel like we're amazing. And it's always fun to be around somebody like that where you're like, uh, no, you're the awesome one. But she really is the awesome one. I know. I can't say that I'm doing very awesome right now, but I appreciate people like Nancy in the world. So thank you, Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, good luck with uh, Carmel. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, yeah. Guys, thank join you. the Patreon if you want. Do it. Patreon.com slash WWDN. And you can get ad-free content. If you hate our ads, it's fine. <laughs> you can pay $10 and not have them <laughs> and not have them and you get a shout out in episode during select episodes that we choose and, <laughs> and if you don't want to do that you can buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now uh they could buy some caramel for mel's vat of caramel and uh if you don't want to do either of those things just give us a five-star rating and review really helps the algorithms yeah Thanks to everybody who supports us and who listens and who shares and who refers to other people. Everything helps others in the world. So we appreciate that. And thanks to you guys for supporting us in our kind of ridiculous lives and yeah. being okay. Like when sometimes an episode doesn't come out because Mel's brain exploded. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks to Anito, the mosquito. Gross. <laughs> putting up with me. <laughs> All right, Mel, let's get to the episode, shall we? I say yes. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. You're two young widows. <laughs> We're here right now only. <laughs> <laughs> and my kids are pounding on my door and Mel's brain is going to explode and we're both off on adventures. <laughs> I, I'm actually going to do a job where I might make money for a second. Yay! And we're just trying to figure out widow. We! Ew! No! So noisy. Clap on, clap off, clap on, clap on. What is it? The clapper. No clapper. I wanted one so bad in the 80s. My grandma had one for her Christmas tree and all of her grandkids <gasps> were always like. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rockhouse Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Oh. <laughs> it didn't last very long. Did she also have an acorn stair lift? 
No, but she had a blue Christmas tree. Ooh. It was so fancy. Uh, hi, we have a guest. <laughs> Should we talk to her or just talk about the clapper? Well, I want to know if she's ever had a clapper. Have you had a clapper? No, but I know what it is. Maybe from TV or mm -hmm. the ads they used to have on TV before you were born. Maybe we were born when the clapper was around. You yeah. were? We were born Ooh. in the 80s. Mm -hmm. You were? We just act like teenagers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or not really. Do uh, you want to tell us who you are, mystery guest? Yes. My name is Nancy Saltzman. Hi, Am I Nancy. supposed to say anything else? <laughs> well, you're also doctor, right? Oh, yes. I am Dr. Nancy Saltzman. What are what you are... a doctor of? Yeah. I have a PhD in educational leadership. Wow. Yeah. That means lots of school. Yeah, you're fancy. I didn't know yes. I was speaking to somebody so fancy. I will yeah. bow to you now, Nancy. You. <laughs> no, clap to her. I'll clap to you. I clap to you. <laughs> you know, if I'm ever in the uh, family feud contest, you can introduce me as Dr. Saltzman. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Dr. Saltzman, where do you hail from? Where do you live? I'm living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where <gasps> I have been since 1970. Your story is multifaceted so we have to back way up to find out where it begins so you want to take us back should we say far? where we met her no that's a mystery <laughs> okay tbd <laughs> we met her at camp widow yay camp widow what is your role in camp widow because you're at all of the ones we've been to i think i'm on the leadership team and i recruit and support the ambassadors who oh. are part of the ambassador program. So, and the other thing I do is every time somebody sends an email to Soaring Spirits saying they want to be a volunteer, I respond to them. So if you went to camp, you saw I want to volunteer, then you would send an email to somebody and then I would respond to that. So those are my two main jobs. And when you respond, you say, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. We t I tell them all the different volunteer jobs we have. But as you know, from being at camp, most of the volunteer jobs are at camp. So some of the people would like to volunteer throughout the year. And if they actually live near Simi Valley, we do have some things they can do. But most of our volunteers we're looking for to recruit to work at camp, which, as you know, we have tons of volunteers. Thank goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, now we know what your official yes. job title was. I right. just thought she was like the queen of Camp it, Widow. It's the doctor. Called, <laughs> yeah, coordinator of the ambassador program, Dr. Nancy Saltzman. That oh, sounds right. so State Department-ish, don't Kinda. you think? Yeah, like, I think, yeah. My, oh, it does, actually. But you know what it's based on is Michelle decided, Michelle Neff Hernandez, the whole... The actual queen of yes, Camp Widow. Yes, the queen of yeah. Camp Widow, that we needed people to greet widows come into camp and she said just like the ambassadors at disneyland <laughs> oh that's where it came from so this is not yeah. the united nations no it's this is disneyland, disneyland. so that's it kind of fits in with your game that you play at the end of camp that's funny you know, all the, yeah so that's where it came from yes so nancy we need to hear your story take us back who is your person or okay. who was your person at the time or even back further than that. Right. I might have to go back a little further than that, right? 
Yeah. Like, or like when you were a child, what were your favorite foods and your dream job? You could go back that far if you want, but you don't have to. No, but I can tell you right now, it's like spaghetti with butter. <laughs> mm. It was my favorite food. And my dream job was being a teacher. So it well, kind of worked out. You did yeah. that. Nice. Yeah. So I, uh, I was born in Bloomington, Indiana, and both of my parents worked for Indiana University, and they were both psychologists, but they weren't the kind of psychologists like that want to hear your problem. <laughs> so they didn't listen to you ever? <laughs> no, but they believed in positive and negative reinforcement. So they rewarded us when we did something right. So I grew up there and it was a great childhood and it's a university town. So, and we had a lot of freedom and we got to drive all over the place on our bikes and we swam competitively and did all sorts of fun things that kids could do because I was born in 1952 and I was the second kid. So older sister, two younger brothers. Anyways, a great childhood, but we always knew we had to go away to college because my parents, of course, were educators and I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was that person who brought all the neighborhood kids in and made them do spelling tests and stuff like that. I also thought it was really important to go someplace where my hair would be straight because I have naturally curly hair. So that meant Colorado. I don't know, might mean Utah. Does that mean Utah? Yes, but I didn't know that. So I came out to Colorado College in 1970. And I, since we're talking about love, I had my first boyfriend in college and he actually was the captain of the hockey team. And we got married right after college. And then we got divorced two years later. Oh, so darn it. It was my it was my practice marriage. Your starter marriage. My starter marriage. <laughs> I had one of those. You did too? Yeah. So one of the things I do think about when I think about my life and I think about resilience, I really, I think that was one of the first things that I had to deal with was getting divorced at a young age and just figuring out what to do after that. Obviously, I mean, he was a great guy. We just weren't right for each other. And so it was really smart that we got divorced before we had kids. Is it really because he didn't have any teeth from playing hockey? <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> oh, no. It was, that, it was that weird false tooth. Yeah, <gasps> absolutely. He did. Oh, and yeah, that, that's, did. What, that's what killed the marriage. I know it's true. Don't. I... I'm so, that, Anita, you are so insightful. So, yes. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that before. <laughs> yeah. So we got divorced and then I was, I had my dream job. I was a teacher. I'd been teaching for five years and I went to a local bar and I actually knew about this guy's name was Joel Herzog. He had a tennis shop and I'd seen him and I thought he was really cute. And I walked by the tennis shop and I saw him and I was like, oh my God, that guy's so cute. So I had a friend bring him to a bar where I went pretty much every Friday night with my best friend, Donna, and I ran into him. She, and... she put quotation marks up here, guys. <laughs> so I walked up to him and I said, hi, I'm Nancy. And he said, hi, I'm Joel. What do you do? And I'm like, oh, God, whatever. So we fell madly in love. And this was in 1979. And we were just like oh my gosh, this is the best ever. But I was leaving in six weeks to go to the University of Virginia to get my doctorate. So luckily for me, I mean, he said, if you love me, you'd stay here. And I said, if you'd love me, you'd come with me to Virginia, which he yeah. didn't do. But uh, so I went to Virginia for a year and I missed him too much. So I came back to 
Colorado Springs and he owned a tennis shop and I was able to transfer to the University of Denver and there were a bunch of shenanigans, but eventually he saw the light and he asked me to marry him. So we got married uh, in, let's see, 1980. So I met him in 79, got married in 80 or 81, whatever. Can't remember anymore. <laughs> She's like, eh, it doesn't matter. Uh, wait, Small I detail. have my book here. I can look it up. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we got married. And then one of the reasons why we got married, I was uh, 30 and he was a little bit younger than I was, but we wanted to have kids. So I got pregnant right away and we had a little boy in 1982 named Adam. And then we had another little boy in 1984 named Seth. And I was now an assistant principal. I had some other jobs as assistant director of special education, but then I was assistant principal at a middle school and having babies and finishing my doctorate. And so let's see, I finished my doctorate in 1985, but I was working and working on my doctorate and having babies and having a job that I loved. And life was like amazing. Should we just stop? And like, just let it <laughs> yeah. end there. Let's just stop. It is such a great life. Yeah. yeah. I That's love your life, Nancy. Yeah. It sounds so great. Wonderful. It's so um, things were just going along great. And I got a job. Actually, I was, like I said, I was an assistant principal. And at the very end of the year in 1990, I felt a weird lump under my arm. And even though it was that long ago, I knew that was bad. So I ended up going to the doctor and he said, I think this is an infected sweat gland. And my husband said, how could it be an infected sweat gland? Because you never do anything. <laughs> but we found out that because they were looking at that, I actually had the first stages of breast cancer. We had just been out of town and someone had broken into my car and taken my car radio. So the kids were like, this is amazing. Somebody would do that. They, so that night, that's all they were talking about. But I knew I had to tell them about the fact that I had breast cancer. So I said, well, hey, guys, I know that that is crazy that someone took my radio out of my car. But I need to tell you that I have some bad cells in my breast and they're going to have to take that off. And they look at me and Adam goes, mom. That's amazing. First, they take your radio, then they take your breast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, That's so funny. You can tell everybody in this this family had pretty good sense of humor. Anyway, so then Seth said, but mom, what did they do with all the breasts that they take off? Oh, so I said, yeah. well, they put them in a room for men to come look at. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then if I'd been more enlightened, I would have said, and some women. But anyway, so... <laughs> That was in 1990, and I was really young, so I was like 38. And so I had a mastectomy, and they said everything should be fine because it was the early stages. And so that was the end of 1990. Oh, and then a job came open to be a principal in October of that year because the principal had had a nervous breakdown. So naturally, I applied for the job, and I was the fourth principal in five years. So that was kind of cool. Uh, they were happy to have someone who really wanted to be there, I guess. And I just, that was the best job ever. So I had the most amazing family, the most amazing kids. Everybody had a great sense of humor. My husband had a tennis shop. And so he got to tell jokes all day long. 
when my kids were little, he actually took them to work with him because he liked having them at work. So they got a little older than it was a little wild, but, um, and then I was able to bring my kids to school with me. So they were at school with me where I was principal, which was really cool. So that was, uh, that was all happening about 1990. And then 1992, at the end of the school year, I had had a mastectomy. And so the only thing on the right side of my chest was uh, just flat, nothing, no nipple, nothing, just flat, big scar. I looked in, there's a little lump there. No. So, yeah. So I went to the doctor and the doctor, I mean, he just numbed it and he took it out and he said, that's cancer. So I had cancer, which is really weird on the same side, I'd had a mastectomy. So at that time, they said that it's probably malignancy and we need to treat it that way. So luckily my cancer comes like at the end of the school year. So it was the end of the school year and I got, then I got to start chemo and then I had radiation. Then at Thanksgiving, I had a hysterectomy and I was still working the whole time um, because my kids, I thought it was really important for me to model for the kids. I believed I was going to be okay. And I didn't want them to have to worry about me. And I was still working as a principal, so I just wore wigs all the time. So the kids at school wouldn't know what was going on. And um, so then that was in 1992. There we go. Now, I wish I would have had that wig because that would have been kind of fun. Now, everyone that cannot see, uh, it's a neon pink fro clown wig. Oh my God, wouldn't that have fun? Even if like at the end of the school year, if I just would have worn a different wig every day. (laughs) I got my, my best friend has to start chemo like this week. So she said she'd wear it. I love it. What is, what was chemo like? It was fun. Yeah. She liked it. Well, I really like my hair. (laughs) I mean, my old hair now that this has died, but my old hair I liked and, uh, I just was totally convinced that my hair would not fall out because I loved my hair so much. I really believed it wasn't going to fall out. And they didn't have all these things that they can do now. And they actually have a friend who just had uh, a couple of years ago had chemo for breast cancer and she had it once a week and her hair had really, her hair thinned a little bit, but her hair didn't fall out. It's because so she loved her hair more than you. I, I know <laughs> Only explanation. Wait a minute. (laughs) I have a question for you, Nancy. You, we haven't gotten through the whole story, but you have cancer. Did you sort of feel like this was the hard thing for your life? Like this was going to be your Everest to climb, and then after you would live like a happy, unscathed life? No, (laughs) you didn't. I don't never. No, I don't. I mean, no. I've certainly. (laughs) I, I mean, it's a great question because. My best friend Donna's brother was murdered. And it happened right around the same time that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember her saying, "Um, this is the worst. This is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to us. And I just don't remember ever believing that because I'd already had some other things happen. Like my dad had been diagnosed with prostate cancer and you know, other bad things that happened. And I kind of already had the idea that just because a bad thing happens to you doesn't mean there aren't going to be other bad things that happen to you. Interesting. I don't know. It's very mature. And it's also kind of a ripoff. 
too. Like you should only have one thing, well, right? I think we all know now, if we didn't before, that it doesn't really work that way. I, I mean, I wish it worked that way. Yeah. When people have said that to me, um, I'll be like, please don't say that because it could <laughs> be a jinx. So this was so 1990, 1992, I had the cancer and... I just kept working the whole time because that was really what was good for me to do. And I also, you know, it was just good for my kids to see me working. And I had an incredibly supportive husband. Joel was amazing. And I think we both wanted to believe that I wouldn't die, even though I will say the second time I got the cancer, I did think this is more serious and maybe it could kill me. I think the first time I had it, they took my breast off and I thought, well, they just got it all. So I'm probably going to be okay. Um, but things pretty much went on. It was great because Joel had a tennis shop and the boys played tennis and they played hockey and we did, you know, all these things that you're doing with your kids. And it was just, I loved my job. I loved the people I worked with and it was just really pretty amazing life. So I guess maybe that now that I think about it, because maybe I did think, you know, we've dodged the bullet twice, so it's not going to come get us again. Although we made sure we had life insurance and stuff like that. So oh, good. That was good. And uh, so we just kept working and doing fun stuff. And then in um, 1995, my husband loved going to tennis tournaments. And he said, the boys and I are going to go to a tennis tournament in Las Vegas. And I have a friend who has a small plane and he's going to fly us to Las Vegas. And we're going to have a boys weekend. It's going to be great. And is that okay? And I said, sure, that's fine. And then I realized it was going to be on Seth's birthday. So September 23rd in 1995. So I said, well, I have to go because it's Seth's birthday. So I talked to the pilot and he said well there are four seats and we already have five people going because his wife was going and Seth was going to sit on Joel's lap and so he said no you can't so I just made reservation right no too bad you can't go <laughs> so I made reservations to go on a commercial flight and so they went they actually were supposed to go on a Thursday and it was raining so they didn't go and then they went Friday morning and they flew to Vegas and then I flew to Vegas that night and got there and, you know, they came and got me at the airport or I can't remember. Took a, We didn't have Uber then, so I probably took a cab and went to the hotel and had a wonderful weekend. One of those weekends that's like it couldn't have been any better. So we had a blast and they went to the tennis. Well, Joel and Adam went to the tennis on Saturday and Seth and I hung out at the pool. And then when the tennis was over, Andre Agassi came walking by and they got Andre Agassi's signature, and they got a bunch of other tennis players. Oh, I think Sampras, Pete Sampras. Wow. So they were just thrilled, and we had a blast that night. We had a Seth's birthday party. And then the next day, uh, they went back to the tennis, and I went to the airport and flew home. And it was a rainstorm, so I wasn't sure they were going to get home, but I had a message on my recorder at 3.30, and... Joel said, we'll see you about seven o'clock tonight. So I just, I went to work actually. And then I came home because they, I wasn't hearing anything from them. We didn't have cell phones or anything. So I thought maybe they were home. So I went home and the house was dark. There was nobody there. And then 
things just spiraled terribly from there. I got a call at 10 o'clock from a guy from emergency services. He told me they had some planes down, but they didn't know where my husband's plane was. They had some planes down? Like like multiple? Three. They had three planes down (gasps) that day. So they didn't know was my husband's plane one of them. Um, Yeah, so they just said it was actually the guy was great. And you guys have dealt with this. He said, um, are you very religious? And I said, no, why? He said, I don't want you sitting by yourself. And I said, again, do you know something? And he said, I really don't know anything, but I just don't want you by yourself. So I did call my best friend and she came over. And by now it's like 10 o'clock at night. And he had told me he was going to call me back at midnight because they were using the satellites to find the locators on the planes. And he called me back a little after midnight and he said, um, I'm sorry to tell you, but there were no survivors. So that's kind of what I did was I just, I mean, collapsed on the floor. Because that's not just your husband. That's your entire family. Your whole family died. Right. My whole family died. Can we go back and pretend that didn't happen? (laughs) You know how many times I've said I wish I was Lois Lane? Because in in Superman, she takes the globe and she spins it back. And she, oh no, Superman, I've got it backwards. Superman goes, does the earth backwards and Lois Lane is alive again. So that's what I've thought about a lot is wouldn't that be great if we could all just keep spinning the globe back to before this happened? Yeah. So, of course, immediately I realized all these kids were, it was a Sunday night. So all the kids from school were going to be going to school the next morning. So I called my boss and you guys will appreciate this too. I called him and I said, you know, this is Nancy and I need to tell you that Joel, Adam and Seth died in a small airplane crash. And he says, it was 1.30 in the morning. He says, you're kidding. Yep. Right? Like our reaction, you're kidding. Were you <laughs> in like shock mode or had, when did the emotions hit you? I was definitely in shock. In fact, I have two friends who showed up at 530 in the morning and they're one's a social worker and one's a psychologist. And I opened the door and I, and I look at them and I looked at Larry, the guy and I go, Larry, am I in shock? <laughs> he goes, yes, you are. I mean, I knew it had happened, right? But to try to process that even now, when you think about it, it's so, um, well, it's unbelievable it's overwhelming it's and you know it's true but so they had three plane crashes did they crash into each other no 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 there was was one in wyoming incidences and two in colorado right Uh, no because their plane actually was really bad weather okay and the pilot actually was told there's bad weather in colorado and he said it looks clear to me and he went ahead and you know, of course, since that time, I know most small airplane crashes are pilot error. And I'm sure he made the best decision at that time for him. I mean, he was not planning on killing himself or his <laughs> wife, right? Or my family. Or your, yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, he just decided. I'm, I've seen the reports and all that stuff, but um, I just think he made he was making the best decision, and it wasn't. So they flew actually into an ice storm about 50 miles south of Colorado Springs, and it was you know it was, it was seven at night, and so it was dark. I'm sure he was totally disoriented. He was using a visual flight plan. So he didn't, at least that's what we think. So I think he was just totally disoriented. And what I think is that Seth was sitting on Joel's lap. Adam was sitting next to him. And you know how when you're in a plane and it's clouds and all that other stuff, I just don't think they had any clue of what was happening. I hope they didn't. Uh, and yeah. they flew into a tree. And they were ejected, all of them, immediately through the top of the airplane. So they died instantly. And I don't know what they knew, but they did die instantly. So I think you guys talked about that on one of the podcasts. Just, you know, um, them not knowing would be best. Yeah. I think like with with Tanya, it's like you just hope that, you know, in the towers that they were gone immediately they didn't know so anita and i are as you might know are both sudden death widows and right. i know for me i wasn't with my husband when he died so it was like fake kind of to me you were not with them i mean obviously it was real but did it kind of mess with your head to not be there and see that well yeah it is real but like there's you know i'm kind of in this swimmy shock situation like maybe they'll just walk through the door later and that was a big joke absolutely i actually uh they called me well you guys would get this the next day and said we just need to know what to do with the bodies and i'm like i mean like i don't even understand that question right someone just calls you and they go well we just need to know what to do with the bodies and i'm thinking i I don't know what do you mean? What do we do with the bodies? And they said, well, we need to know where to take the bodies. And I said, but I I need more information. What do you, did they bring them to your house? I, I right. So yeah. they said, no, we, we need, we need, actually, I might've been okay with that. I no, um, they said, we need to know like what a funeral home, where are we, you know, we need a funeral home to take them to in Colorado Springs. I mean, this is also outside of actually imagining. I don't think I let myself think about it. I, I'm not really thinking about it that much right now. Um, it's just too crazy to think about that they're picking up the bodies. So anyway, I said, oh, yeah, take them to Swan Law Funeral Home. I have no idea how I came up with that. I think maybe we'd been to a funeral there or something. You probably saw a billboard once. And you were oh, like, right. And absolutely. It's kind of near downtown. Sure. So they did take him to Swan Law Funeral Home. And then they called me and told me they had him there. So to your point, I went there and I said, I I would like to see them. And they said, well, you can't see them because of the condition they're in. And I said, well, I still need to see them. So what they did was they were in coffins and they brought them into this meeting room you know, I guess where they sometimes have services. So they had the three coffins in the front of the room and they actually had left Seth's face open. They were wrapped like mummies. Hmm. 
So the coffins were open. They were wrapped like mummies. And I could see Seth's face and a little blood coming out of his uh, lips. So, I mean, I guess, like back to your point, I kind of needed to see them, but it didn't really help a whole lot. You're still kind of in shock with, yeah. are these them? So I actually, eventually I had a, they did, I had a private investigator just look into the cause of the crash and they had pictures of the crash. So I did um, see pictures of their bodies and actually Adam and Seth kind of looked like they were sleeping in the grass and Joel had his leg cut off and actually they had taken a little yellow sticky and put it over Joel's face and the attorney I was working with said, do not under any circumstances look under the little yellow sticky. So I didn't, I mean, looking at the pictures was traumatic enough. I never visited the site. I have pictures of the site. Uh, my husband's brothers and sisters went to the site and they put a marker at the site. They actually crashed on a farm. The owner of the farm heard them crash, but it was such bad weather. She couldn't get out there to see where they were. She was milking the goats when she heard the crash, I know. What year was this again? Was it 90? 1995. So, okay. This is like the most fun time for kids to be kids. Mm. Also, it's the 90s. Mighty Ducks has already come out. Probably Mighty Ducks 1 and 2. Right. Also, great years for like NBA stuff. And Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras, great years for tennis. You're living the life. Right. And now you're by yourself. So... Where do you go from there? How? Because I know people listening to this, they're like, I, I don't even know how to process this. Right. So what happened was Joel's family, they live nearby, most of them. And if they didn't, they flew in. So his brothers and sisters came and my uh, brothers and sister and parents and Joel's parents came and we planned a ceremony. And we had on a Wednesday night, so they died on Sunday night. And on Wednesday night, we had a big service, and about 3,000 people came. All the kids, hockey, tennis, Joel grew up in Pueblo, which is near color. So we had a huge celebration of life. So for me, that it gave me something to do immediately, surrounded my family. And then this huge celebration where, of course, we had slides and all the stuff. And I got to, it started at 6.30, and I stayed in line and greeted everybody. I mean, you know, it's like uh, funerals or kind of like a like a party. You see these people you haven't seen for years, and you're like, hey, it's so great. Oh, hey, it's so great to see. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of what it was like. It was like, oh, my gosh, look at the impact these guys had on other people's lives. So for me, that was an amazing experience to see all of those people show up. And it reminds me every time that we have somebody die, that it's really important to go to their funeral, even if you don't want to go, for the people who are still alive. That is such a good point. Yeah, because I've like kind of stopped going to them just so I can be stable in the head. But maybe, maybe as time goes on, it will be less hard and that is so important so that's a good reminder i think and i did go to homer and his wife the pilots and his wife's service they had a week later and i know everybody was like 
Is she coming? Is she not coming? Is she coming? <laughs> and then everybody in my family left and it was the weekend. So I'm in this big five bedroom home. And luckily I had dogs. So I had to get up and walk them and feed them. And then I went back to work on Monday. Wow. So they died on Monday and I went back to work a week later. I think that saved my life because I had a reason to get up. Because honestly, other than the dogs, I didn't really feel like I had a reason to get up. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because, you know, for most of us, we talk a lot about this, um, how you lose your the role that you had before in your life. You know, all of a sudden, for some people, they're not a caregiver anymore. For some people, well, any person who loses their partner, they're not a partner anymore to that person. But you like wiped out two of the biggest roles in your life. All of a sudden, you're not a mom. All of a sudden, you're not a wife. And then your other role is to, you know, be an educator or be a principal. It's like two thirds of your entire existence has just been snapped out of existence. Right. How do you how do you come back from that? I I mean, it's just like I I have a hard time even wrapping my brain around the idea of losing that much of you in one second. Well, I think you guys are intimately familiar with it because you went through the same thing. And I mean, yes, losing your children is horrific. But losing your best friend, who you would talk to about losing your children, because you guys know that, the person you want to talk to the most about all the bad stuff that's happening mm -hmm. to you yeah, is not there. But I was totally focused on having a purpose and making a difference. And another part of it that really motivated me to go back to work was my sons went to my school. So everybody at school knew Adam and Seth, and they knew Joel because he was a character. He would come to school. He didn't have to be at work until 9 or 10, so he'd mess around with them on the playground. So they knew, everybody at school knew them. And my teachers all went to work on Monday. They died on Sunday. All my teachers went to work on Monday. They didn't take the week that I took. They all went to work on Monday. Nobody took any days off. And they had to be there to talk to all these kids, you know, some kids were like, okay, whatever. And some kids were totally traumatized. So, and of course the adults were dealing with this huge loss themselves. So I really felt like I needed to go be there for them to support them. Although I know they were kind of horrified when they thought I was coming back because, you know, nobody knows how to talk to us, right? Hi, Nancy. Sorry your family died. <laughs> here's, yeah. here's a donut. <laughs> and actually, that's a great point, too, because the P, you know, PTO, right? They had to have to do something. So here I am living in my home by myself, and they were bringing me those huge pans of lasagna. <laughs> and I finally did say to the lady, the woman in charge of the PTO, you know, I don't want you to bring me any more food and I can't eat it. I'm not, I went, remember, I wasn't eating. I mean, I was the person who I just didn't eat for a long time and everybody's always trying to feed me. And she said, Nancy, I just need to explain something to you. We can't do anything to take your pain away, but we have to do something. So we are going to bring you food. And so you I can thought, throw it in the trash. And yeah, it doesn't well, yeah, matter. And I, 
I just took it to school. Teachers <laughs> don't eat anything. So it worked out great. But so I really feel like I was lucky in that I had this greater purpose that I needed to go to school. And I also thought it was really important that the kids be able to ask me questions. Like they wanted to know, did Adam and Seth know they were going to die? And where did I think the kids were? Joel, Adam and Seth were. And just tons of questions about the crash and the, you know, that kind of thing, which I know some people would be able to do that. Some people would not. But for me, it was that this is about education. This is about teaching kids that when something bad happens to you, you don't just get to quit doing everything in your life. You have to still get up the next day. And I mean, that's my belief anyway. I mean, maybe some people don't think that, but I did. And so because I had this amazing job, and luckily, my boss didn't say, you're too crazy, you can't come back to work. <laughs> so I don't, I think I was in shock for a really long time, don't you? Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Like triple time. Right. Your students are so lucky. Uh, just listening to your story, you're talking about a school that went through four principals in five years. That tells you something about what was happening in that school. But you talk about it like it was the Harvard of Yale, right? Like you were <laughs> so lucky to have this job. And that just says so much about you as a person, because this was obviously not a perfect job to everybody else because they were in and out. So I, I think that just speaks volumes about your character and your love of teaching and your love of what you did and do. And it's just like all the praise to you. They were so lucky to have you. I can't even believe it. Well, and you know, it's really interesting. Thank you for saying that. I still hear from people now who feel like it was an incredible time because we did let the kids talk about it. We had a grief counselor come. She came every week for the whole year to meet with a group of Adam's friends. It was Seth's friends because Adam by then was at in seventh grade at the junior high. And then... Um, another group of kids who needed someone to talk to. So they remember what happened and they remember being allowed to talk about it. Cause you know, so much with grief, we try to pretend like if we don't talk about it, it won't be happening or somehow it will make it better. And we didn't make people talk about it. And we certainly were really, you know, if you're a kindergartner, you didn't want to talk about it. Or if you didn't really know, my family, we didn't make you talk about it. We tried to be really sensitive to everybody and meet them where they were. So, no, I feel really good about how we handled it and how sensitive we were. And I know from, because Adam would be 40 and Seth would be 38 now. And I still see some of those kids and they still remember. After the plane crash, I let Adam and Seth's friends come over and take all their clothes. So, you know, they said, I had, I know one kid still took Adam's hockey jersey to college with her and sent me a picture of it up on her uh, dorm wall. I mean, they died when they were 13 and 11. So that's so heartbreaking. Nancy, I'm curious about how you dealt with loneliness 
because you went from a bustling house with a joker of a husband and two young teenager-ish boys. And I know firsthand that that is crazy town. Right. And then you go to, the, like you said, this big house, nobody in it, the weekends, nothing. How did you deal with that, like silence and the loneliness of that? What I did actually a lot is in the evening. Oh, I would stay at work. Luckily, I could just stay at work. So I could stay at work until nine o'clock at night if I wanted to, and then come home and just turn on the TV and watch it until I could fall asleep. So I did a lot of that. And on the um, the other thing is Barnes and Noble stayed open till 11 and Target stayed open till 10. So there were evenings that I would go there so I didn't have to go home and just kind of wander around the aisles. Um and wander around at Barnes and Noble and then come home. And uh, there was this horrible show on HBO. We didn't have all the shows that they have now. HBO was called Oz and it was about men in prison. It was on it's Sunday nights. Sunday nights. <laughs> and I watched that, which is crazy because if I even think about it now, it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> I can't believe I watched it. And actually, how, do you guys know who Howard Stern is? Yeah. Okay, so he's this crazy radio. Then he was crazy radio, and he had a TV show. It was the only thing that was on, like, at midnight. So I would watch some of that. So I watched really bad TV. Um, weekends, you know, were really hard. So I did different things. I would leave. I'm very close to one of my brothers. And, and I went and visited him in L.A., and I took a motorcycle riding course on the weekend. <laughs> I just made up stuff to do. And then I always had work as a backup. So I could always just go to school and hang out in my office at school so I didn't have to go home. And I could take the dogs to school with me. So I didn't have to, they weren't alone all the time. You know, I didn't have very many single friends. And our friend structure actually was hockey and tennis which I didn't want to do anymore. Yeah. So I lost the whole, and not to their fault, but I didn't want to hang out with the hockey moms and dads, and I didn't want to go to tennis matches. This is a sensitive question, and you can not answer it if you don't want to, but did you ever think that it would just be easier for you to exit life and not to be on the planet anymore? I did. I went, I met this, I mean, I started going to this therapist. His name was John Bermudez. And I was worried that I was going to mess Adam and Seth up. And so I just wanted to know it was okay to talk to them about, because Seth was really more of a nervous kid. And I think he was really worried about me. So I had gone to see Dr. Bermudez and he told me one, I was giving Seth too much information, which was good advice. So when he asked me if I was going to die, I just learned to say, Seth, I love you, and I'm always going to love you, instead of going into, no, I'm not, or yes, I am, or whatever. And he told me Adam was doing fine. So that relieved me. But I got to know him. I went to see him eight times. So I had had a relationship with him in the early 90s. And then they died in 95. So I went back to see him. And he asked me the same question. And I, I said, well, I think about it. I mean, I don't seriously think about it, but I've definitely thought about it. I don't have a plan or anything like that. And I just know how upsetting it would be to my family. And 
But I also feel like I'm the only one who has to get up every day and deal with this. I mean, if I died, they'd have to figure out how to deal with it, which I had to feel deal with. And he said, if you were drowning, uh, what would you do if someone threw you a life preserver? And I said, I'd reach up and grab it. He said, that's the way you need to think about it, is if you feel like you're drowning, you need to reach up and grab a life preserver, whatever that is, like a friend your family walks with dogs. And to me, that was just a really great metaphor that I would have to reach up and grab my life preserver. I I mean, I still think sometimes that, gosh, it's been exhausting living my life. <laughs> everybody I know has grandkids or almost everybody I know has grandkids. You know, everybody, uh, so I, it's a huge hole in my life even now. And sometimes I just get tired and think might be easier to not be trying to figure all of this out, but I feel really lucky. I mean, I always fall back on this is I was so lucky to be loved the way I was loved and to have these amazing kids and have the family I always wanted to have. And that sustains me. It doesn't necessarily meet all my needs, but it sustains me. Nancy, you've been through a lot. And also, really, in your story, we've mostly got into the mid-90s, right? But you've also written a book, and it's called Radical Survivor. Tell us about that. So the book's a memoir. So it tells my story, you know, obviously in greater detail. And the whole point of writing it well, there were, there were probably three main points in writing it. Is one, I was trying to figure out how come I did survive. So I wanted to go back through and look at how I was raised and what happened and why was I able to survive this horrendous and unthinkable thing. And also, after the plane crash, I got thousands of letters. I mean, letters from people I didn't know, people I did know, that were the most amazing thing. And many of them started with, there are no words. And then they both wrote this beautiful letter full of words. <laughs> and I thought I would love to have my book have some of their letters in it. So that when you go to write a letter, which is really hard, you can open my book and you can find a letter that's similar and you can kind of copy it and make your own letter. Because those letters are so important and they're so beautiful. And so I, I wanted to share the letters with everybody else. And then, of course, I wanted to share my family to people, for people who never met them and how wonderful they were and how lucky I was and how grateful I am that I had them. And one of the reasons why I could keep going is because I had so much love in my life and I wanted to have more love in my life and I wanted to meet somebody again. And that gave me something to look forward to. So all those reasons I wanted to write the book and why it's really good. I've heard if you pick it up, you cannot put it down. Ah, so when we, oh, I think it was the first time that I actually talked to you at one of the camp widows and, and everybody that hasn't been there before, you have a, a badge and then it has how long you've been widowed. And I thought that Nancy had been widowed three times because there it said ten year, ten year, ten year. And so I was like, Have you really been widowed three times? Are you okay? And she's like, No, it was thirty years. But 
Um, so that was kind of maybe funny, not funny, but also funny. Right. But you have found love again, correct? Yes. And will you tell us about that? I will. So like I said, I, I was young. I was uh, my early 40s and I wanted to fall in love again. So we didn't have, really have online dating. So I told all the moms at my school that if they knew somebody single, to give me their name and I would call them and ask oh, them. To call. I feel like that was dangerous. Well, it's a high socioeconomic area. So I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I was you just can't. thinking like you are inviting meddling. Like you went out and said, come meddle in my romance life. They were meddling anyways. This oh. way I gave them permission. I see. And uh, they did give me some names and I did call those people. And I did go out with them and I had to learn to say, it was really nice meeting you, but I don't want to go out with you, which was not really, I had to learn a bunch of dating skills. So that was good. And then I met a guy at a country Western bar and I dated him for two years and he was um, 10 years younger than I was. And he wanted to have kids and I'd had a hysterectomy because of the breast cancer. So I knew that wasn't going to work out and he really did want to have kids and he was a great guy and he was just very different than I was. Like I learned how to fish and stuff like that, that I never would do. So we broke up and then I met another guy through a parent at my school. She set me up with him and he was a really nice guy too, but he was divorced and he had two kids and it was very complicated and I just knew it wasn't going to work. Oh, and he was really religious. So he was praying for me every day because, <laughs> well, because obviously I was making some sins or something. Sin, sinner, <laughs> I was the sinning. Sinner. <laughs> I was sinning with him, by the way, but whatever. But he was not praying for himself. He was only I praying for you. I don't you. know. Uh -huh. I actually think he was praying for both of us. So anyway, but he was a really nice guy, but I knew that wasn't going to work out. So I broke up with him. And then I was teaching a class. So this is eight years after Joel had died. I was teaching a class for people who wanted to be principals. And a woman in the class said, I think you should meet my neighbor because he's a tall, dark, and handsome widower. But And then she adds, but I, when I first met him, I thought he was an arrogant... Do I need to clean this up? Oh, you'll clean it. Nope. I thought he was an arrogant asshole. <laughs> Really selling she it there. Said, she's, so then she says, but I went to his wife's memorial service and he spoke and I think he's really a nice guy. So she set us up. And so I met Greg Roman in, let's see, 2003. And I always like to add this, you know, he, I met him three months after his wife died. Whoa. And um, of course, everybody said, you can imagine what they said it's too soon. How do you know? It's just too soon for him. And you need to be really careful. And I remember saying, you know, he was so lucky to meet me to go through all this stuff with somebody who understood it. And I also thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I have already dated a couple of guys and it didn't work out and I knew how to end things and we'll just see how it goes. So we dated for 11 years and then we got engaged and we got married in 2014. So we've now been married for almost 10 years, right? Wow. 2014. Yeah. 
And he was uh, married young. I mean, he was married and divorced. So he has a son from his first marriage. And then he was married and widowed, same as me, married and divorced, married and widowed. And now we're married to each other. And he had a son who was nine when I met him. And he was, son was living with Greg's mom, although he saw Greg on the weekends and stuff like that. And then that's another whole thing, which you guys have talked about on your podcast is blending families and I think it was it was very complicated for me because Jordan's not my son. He came to live with us as a freshman in high school and live with us for high school because there's a really good high school near where I live, where we live. And that was very hard for me for all the real regular reasons. Teenager doing a lot of things, getting in trouble, his dad excusing his behavior his mom, who was alive, excusing his behavior, me not feeling like they were doing the right thing and having to not really say anything. He is a wonderful kid. He's turning 30 this month. So, and I love him dearly, but it was, that was one of our big challenges. I have a question kind of, kind of along, like it popped up in my head when you're talking about, you know, having a blended family, but you have kind of the these two different kinds of grief. You have the grief of the life that you lived with Joel and not having that anymore. And then you have the grief of the life that you did not get to live with your sons. Right. How do those compare to each other? Was it all just like a big soup of horribleness or did is there a difference in that type of grief? You know, I've, I've thought uh, about this because they are all different and... I, as much as I was grieving all three of them at the same time, I had to kind of think about it one at a time. So missing Joel for all the reasons that you're missing your spouse, your best friend, the person who has your history, who knows stories and nobody else knows. And then the loss of them at the age that they were, the loss of what, you know, watching all of their friends go to high school. I, I went to um, their high school graduations mm. and watched their friends graduate because I was a principal in the district where they graduated. I don't know if I would have gone if it had been, like I have, wasn't an educator, but the principals always went to the high school graduations. So, so it's kind of like an out-of-body experience where you experience it as just a person observing and then the person who's actually having all the feelings and then also being a master at compartmentalizing and not thinking about the feelings. So I think it's just complicated. It's interesting because your story, you started out in like Anita's realm and then everybody died and then you're in my realm even though I haven't had kids but then you find yourself and you're just you so you have quite the complexities in your journey I have a friend who has lost a child before and I know that for her sometimes she isn't quite sure how to respond to how many kids do you have or do you have kids what was that like or what is that still like for you it's that's such an interesting question. And I think people who have had children die are kind of dealing with it all that all the time and deal with it differently. 
whenever anybody asks me if I have children, I tell them that I had two children die in an airplane crash. I've never answered by saying no. I just have never been comfortable doing that. And I filled out a health form yesterday where it says, you know, how many children do you have? And I always write out two deceased. I mean, I just, I, I'm not okay with just saying no, I don't. And that's just me. And I know I asked a friend of mine about it because she said she answers it differently. And she said that she answers it differently because she doesn't want to tell her story. And I feel the opposite. I do want people to know that these people existed and that they are no longer here. And that's just how I feel about it. And if they're uncomfortable, I, I was going to say I'm sorry. I, I mean, sorry is probably not right. I don't, I'm not comfortable to say that I don't have any children. So I'm just going to have to answer it that way. Well, they're not erased. Like they they have died, but they existed. Right. And they're... There are stories of them in your book and you help people in the widowed community and I'm sure in regular people community. And so that helps them live on as well, which I think sometimes we think, well, if they're not here physically living, walking around, then, you know, they don't exist. But in a way, they're living on. Yeah. And you guys, I imagine you've had this happen, but I've had people say to me, oh, gosh, you know, seeing you today reminded me that I don't ever want to be you. <laughs> Meaning yeah. they don't want to have something horrible happen to them, which I get. So that's oh, okay man. with me because we had this horrible thing happen, right? And if it makes other people, we can't change that, but maybe it will make them appreciate that what they do have by seeing us, which is horrible, yeah. but also... You know, maybe it gives them a little bit of perspective because the perspective helps me too. And I just think of all the different stories you've heard when we started like this, all the different stories you've heard. You don't want to have that. You don't want to have that. You don't want to have that. You're just going to figure out how to deal with what you have. So hope that makes sense. If you could share some advice with somebody who is struggling right now, what would you say? I would make sure that they're surrounded by people who could be supportive of their struggles, for one. I mean, I think that's really important to have people not try to solve everything for them, but just listen. And I think, you know, we were just at Camp Widow, and the keynote speaker said, Kim Hamer said, you need to have people love you. I thought that was, well, the first thing she said was you need to have a Mabel or whatever it was, which was the friend who will listen to you. And then you need to let people love you. And I know that's really hard because people think it's really important to be strong and take care of yourself and all of that. And I mean, I do too, but I would say, make sure you have someone who will be there for you and let them love you and care for you and uh, give you a lot of support. And, uh, you know, all this, I try to do this too. Um, and we know this is true from research. It's just hard to do is to be grateful for what we do have. Uh, 
I'm very grateful for the life I have now. It doesn't take away my sadness. I still have lots of sadness. Uh, I was going to ask about that. After this many years, tell tell us and our listeners what that is like, because there's also a misconception that, well, time heals all wounds. So you should be like, quote, fine this many years later, but you still have grief. Talk to us about that. I am always going to have sadness because of the deep love that I had for my family and what an incredible life I had. I'm always going to miss that. I mean, I recognize, when I see little kids, I'm thinking, oh, they're so cute, like Adam and Seth. And I think, oh, well, they would be 40 and 38, which is hard to imagine, uh, even though I do see some of their friends. But I just miss them. I mean, I miss them in my body. Um, When I see little families together, I imagine what it would be like. And so, I mean, it's it's such a weird happy. I mean, you can be happy and sad at the same time. I think that was one of the weirdest things that I learned is that you can be grieving and happy at the same time. But I think I will always have incredibly deep sadness. I mean, I haven't said this, but my sister died in her sleep at age 55. And that's why, you know, like when Anita said, do you think, did you think you would never have anything bad happen to you again? I wished nothing bad would happen to me again. But when I, I have friends who hang out, go on trips with their sisters. And I'm like, could I not have a sister to go on a trip with? And talk about my family, and I just get sad. I mean, people ask me, were you mad? Did you get mad at Homer? Mad has never been a huge part of what's happening with me. It's been really deep sadness. Um, Because I would like to have some of these things that other people have that I had that I lost. Like some people never had a sister, so maybe that's different than you have a sister and then you lose them. But I would love to talk to my sister about my family. So, um, yeah, I, I am a happy person, but I'm not the cork that floats on the top of the water who's happy all the time. And I have friends like that. In fact, my husband, Greg, is like that. But I'm not. I'm happy and I love being alive, but not the cork. Oh, Nancy. I feel just blessed to be able to spend this time with you. You have such like a deep like calming and positive presence uh, that it's kind of surprising to know that you've been through so much. You know, I, I think I would be a gremlin. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which would, would be me... okay. I'm not sure I agree with you, but it would be <laughs> <laughs> And also I would like to officially offer that Mel and I will now be your children because oh we're God, about Seth you. and Adam Sage. Like it will be a little bit tricky. I mean, we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to learn some of their quirks, but we will step in to fill that role. And you can have Thank some you. of my children as your grandchildren <laughs> if you would like. And I, and yeah, we both you cool. and I both you and I both have dogs named Finn. So there's I that. Know, I know. And it's only I think, natural. I believe that Anita and I are the same age apart that Adam and Seth were, although I am Adam's age. Yes, yeah. I'm I'm a little bit. So older, if you need a so. pseudo fake weird family. Yeah. <laughs> 
you want to adopt us, we're available. That sounds good. I'll start saving money for college. <gasps> awesome. Or what do you want? Or a new car? Do you need a new car? Yeah, but your grandchildren might need That's something. That's right. Oh, my grandchildren. They need <laughs> I mean, to start their college funds. My mom can be your sister. You guys can oh talk about Oh, my God. Up. That's right. It's oh actually God. kind of true. And Sylvia would love you. Yeah. I mean, we're very, uh, we're financially independent. Uh, Ish. Ish. Um, adults that are willing to be adopted. So it's like a win-win. Yeah, you don't have to totally. pay anything unless you want. <laughs> I did, I need to tell you about at Camp Widow this time. I ran into someone and she looked at me and she said, oh, I no, we've been talking for a while. We were just talking. She's a new camper. That's what it was. And then all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, oh, you're Nancy Saltzman and I know your story and you're so normal <laughs> and you're so nice. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I guess she thought I was going to kind of go. Yeah, gremlin. <laughs> Michelle would not let really crazy people come to camp to coordinate a program. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's your rehabilitation program. There we go. <laughs> yeah. We have a question for you. This is very important. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite cheese? Oh, my favorite. I should have been prepared for this because I heard you ask somebody else this. Yeah. So I think my favorite cheese is um, brie, mm. brie cheese. I like brie. Does that count as a cheese? Because it's yes. kind of mellow. It's a cheese. Yeah. Yeah. We even count cheese products like Cheese Whiz, Velveeta. <laughs> Velveeta. Oh, Velveeta's good. Yeah. Mm. My dogs love Velveeta cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Your story is amazing. You are a light to the widowed community, and we're so yeah. thankful to have spent some time with you. Remember to check out the Patreon if you want to keep the podcast going. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. If you'd like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And if you don't want to do those things, give us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Oh, and remember to check out the Widow Wives Club on Facebook. It's our private Facebook community. It's a great place to be. And our app that's free that has links to everything because we all have widow brain and can't find any of the things in any app store. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Until we get to talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Nancy. And we are just two young widows and one lady who was living her best life and it all got taken away, but she's a radical survivor. We're all just trying to figure out widow. We do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what one, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not. 
who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.